Thank you. Great. So I'm, I'm Robin, as been said. Uh, I'm going to be continuing our series in the book of Ruth this morning. Um, I don't know about you. I've been really enjoying the whole story. I know every speaker has said that, but I think it's a really good book. Uh, I certainly learned a lot reading through it um, that I've not noticed before. Um, I think it's really exciting. My wife and I have just finished watching the, the second to last series of The West Wing. I know it's a bit old. We're, we're, we're getting there. There are like 20 episodes per season, and there are seven seasons, so it's, 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 we're taking our time. Um, I, I think we've been watching it for most of our marriage so far, so I've eventually we'll get there. And, and, and one thing about The West Wing, um, part of the reason I like it, um, but th there is a lot going on throughout each episode and throughout each series, and, and there are two things that I think are interesting about the way they, they structure that series, and uh, it's probably fairly typical of other TV dramas, but I haven't really had time for those given we've been watching The West Wing. So, the, the first is we, we just watched the, the final episode, the finale, if you like, and all of these different things that have been going on throughout the series were, were coming to a head right at the very end. All of these different characters that we were cutting through and between in each episode were, were all present in that, that final episode, and, and we had a real climax right at the end and, and a little bit of a setup for the next season as well. And, and in many ways, that's true for this chapter here that we're about to read through. The, the story of, of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, our three characters, comes to a head in this final chapter. We, we see um, the conclusion to each of their, their story arcs, uh, and we see a real climax right at the end. And, and next week, this is not our last message in the series, next week Duncan is going to come back and, and look at how this story, how this book fits into the wider picture of the Bible, the wider story of the Bible, and, and this week is the conclusion to the story of this book. And, and the other thing about the West Wing is that because there is so much going on, because there is, there is a lot you could, you could miss or forget, uh, particularly if you're watching it as slowly as we do, they, they have a previously on the West Wing at the beginning of every episode. And so I thought that was a good way to start this morning. It's, it's been a a relatively short series, but there's been a lot going on, and I don't want us to miss anything that has already happened because it might be important for what's about to happen. So this is my previously in the Book of Ruth. We, we start by meeting Naomi and her husband Elimelech, and they are two people living in the land of Israel. They have two sons, and there is a famine. And so they decide to leave the land of God's promise and go looking for food elsewhere. And, and they land in Moab. Well, they don't land. They don't fly there. They, they go to Moab, and they, they find themselves there, and they find food, and so they settle there. And sadly, Elimelech dies. And the two sons marry Moabite women. They, they find wives in the, in the land of Moab. And they, they live there, we're told, for 10 years. And then tragedy strikes again. The two sons die as well. And so these three women are left as widows. Naomi, uh, the, the mother of her, her two boys and, and the husband to Elimelech, Naomi has lost everything. She, she's left the land of God's people, God's promise. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. And she's heard that actually things are looking pretty good in Israel right now. So I'm going to go back. And so the two daughters have a choice. The first, Orpah decides, I'm going to stay with my family. I'm going to stay in my home, in my home country, and I am going to stay in Moab. And Ruth, of course, goes with Naomi. She follows 
and, and goes to a new land that she's never been to before. She leaves everything behind. And, and so we see Ruth and Naomi come to Israel. They come to Bethlehem, which is where Naomi and Elimelech were from. And Naomi is talking about how she is being completely emptied. She, she says to call her Mara, which means bitter. And, and so these two women settle, and they, they don't have any source of food or income. And so Ruth goes out into the field to, to glean, to effectively pick up what is left over from the harvest. And, and so that's what we see at the very beginning of chapter 2. We meet Boaz, who happens to own the field that she is picking up corn in, picking up barley in, I think. Um, and this is um, where, where Jem taught us a, a few weeks ago how um, we, we're told Boaz is a worthy man. But then the author shows us how Boaz is a worthy man. He sh- they, they show us his, his care and his love for, for Ruth. He gives her ridiculous amounts of food. Uh, he, ma- he makes sure she has enough to pick up after his workers have been through the field. And, and, and Ruth goes home to Naomi and she takes all of this food with her. And Naomi is excited because she, she's, she's heard of Boaz. He has a good reputation. And, and she starts to concoct this very strange plan. And this very strange plan is what Rianne took us through a, a couple of weeks ago, where Ruth basically goes to, to Boaz and asks him to marry her. That is a, a very simplified version. Um, it's a lot weirder than that in, in reality. And, and Boaz agrees. But because he's a worthy man, he says, actually, there is this other redeemer, this closer relative who has the first right of refusal, if you like. And so I'm going to let him know before I commit to anything today. And, and that's pretty much where, where we leave it. Ruth goes home, not before Boaz has given her another ridiculous amount of food. I don't know how they got through all of it. And, and they, she gets home to Naomi. And this is a turning point we saw last week. Naomi says to wait. She's learned to wait and to trust in God. And, and so that is how that, that chapter closes. And, and she says, the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And so as we begin chapter 4, um, we can assume it's the same day, and we know that Boaz has gone into the city. So I'll be reading from Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 to 15. Uh, and it said, Now Boaz had gone up to the city gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know and I've lost my place. Tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it. And I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was a custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confront the action, the one drew off sandal 
and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Marlon. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Marlon, I bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar brought to Judah, because of the thing that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And, and so these, these 15 verses, it, quite, quite long, I realize, but these 15 verses are the conclusion to this whole story. That all of the threads that have been running throughout are, are concluded in, in these 15 verses. And as I said, we, we start with Boaz. Boaz is at the city gate, and, and he's gone there to find this other redeemer. And the, the city gate is, if you like, the center of the city life at this time in Israel. This is where people went into and out of the city, so that the, the primary function of gates has not really changed in that sense. And the, the, the people would set up market stalls around the city gate. And within the, within the walls, there would be almost like a courthouse or a town hall where the elders would settle and decide transactions as required by the law in Deuteronomy. And so it's the perfect place for Boaz to go to, to have this legal transaction witnessed but also to find this other man. And so the, the other man passes by the other redeemer, and, and Boaz says, sit down here. And then the, the elders, he, he gathers 10 of them, and they come and sit down. And for some reason, they all do exactly what he says without asking any questions. I would like to know Boaz's secret. I, I've not really, not really mastered that trick, particularly with my own children. Getting them to do what I ask is one thing. Getting them to do it without asking any questions is something else. And, and so we see the beginning of Boaz's plan. He, he starts to, to begin this exchange. And, and before we get too much into it, I'd like to just quickly recap. I know we've already had a recap, a second recap of, of the Leverett marriage laws that Rianne talked about a couple of weeks ago. And, and Lever is a Latin word that for, for brother-in-law. And, and the Leverett marriages were there to regulate the, the marriage of the widow of a dead man, of, of what happens when the man of the house dies. And, and these, these laws and these customs were there so that usually a brother, but, but importantly a kinsman, a relative of the dead man, would marry the widow. And this was done, um, assuming she had no sons, this was done to continue the name of the dead man by, by having children, by having sons, by having heirs. But it was also there so that this kinsman uh, was able to redeem 
the, the wife, the widow, but also property as well. And so it was done to look after and protect the land and the wife and the family of the dead man, as well as continuing his name. And so that's what we have here. Boaz is in this position to act as a redeemer, but there is this other man who we have just met. And it's his right first. So Boaz is going to let him know what's happened. And the, the strange thing is Boaz is not talking about Ruth in this first instance. He starts by talking about the land. So it seems clear to me that Boaz has a bit of a plan. He's up to something. Because um, certainly from the previous chapter, we thought this was all going all to be about marrying Ruth. And, and he says there is this land that you can redeem and it's like you can have it if you want it. And, and this other guy is keen. This is a win-win scenario for him. There is an initial cost of him for redemption for, for purchasing the land. But in the long term, it's worth it. There is a long-term reward. And he's kind of seen to be doing a good thing by, by protecting Naomi, this widow. And she's kind of old by this point. If, if I can be blunt, she's not going to be alive for that much longer. So he's not going to have to look after her for that long. And she's certainly past having children, so he doesn't have to worry about his inheritance. And so he keeps the land. And he's very happy. This is a win-win scenario, very little drawback. And he says, yes, of course, I will redeem it. I'm a good guy. And, and then Boaz springs his trap, if you like. His, his plan comes into fruition where he says, oh, sorry, I, I, I meant to mention Ruth. I, must have, I don't know why I forgot. But, but Ruth is also part of this family. And, and when you redeem Naomi and the land, you also redeem Ruth, the Moabite. And, and he specifically says to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance in verse 5. So he, he's stating this is why you are doing this. It's clear that the Redeemer is expected to take on all responsibilities together. He can't pick and choose, oh, I'll, I'll take the land. I'm not worried about Naomi and, and Ruth. He is expected to take on responsibility for the land and both women altogether. And at this point, the Redeemer refuses. He says, no, this will impair my own inheritance because Ruth changes everything. Ruth is also a widow. She also has no sons. But she is of childbearing age, and so he is expected to give her a son, to, to have children with her so that he can continue the name of a dead man. And so if he was to redeem Ruth as well, his inheritance is, is costed. He, 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 pays, he gives out uh, his investment into the land, but he loses out some of his inheritance. And he, here's why. that The sons that he has with Ruth will share in his inheritance with his own children but they won't be considered his children. They will be considered children of Marlon, the dead man. And so as he sees it, he is losing out and his children will be losing out. And he's, he's worried about his name. He's worried about his inheritance. And so he declines because there's no real long-term reward for him. And, and this kind of makes sense to us, right? This is, this is the rational, logical, reasoned approach to the whole situation. Uh, certainly, I feel like if I was in this situation, I like to think I'm a, a logical, reasonable man, that I'm, I might take a similar approach. If there is no real long-term return on my investment, then I'm not going to invest. Boaz, it seems, is not concerned about any of this. Boaz, I think, is actually counting on this response from the, from the other redeemer. He's expecting this to happen. This is part of his plan. He, he is happy to take on the cost and the responsibility. He is happy to do this and to, 
to uh, perpetuate the name of the dead man in his inheritance, as he restates in verse 10. He, he doesn't mind that. He's not concerned with his own name and his own self in the same way as this other man. Boaz, as, as we saw in chapter 2, is a good man, a worthy man. And, and, and the narrator shows us that throughout, as I said earlier. They show us how he's generous. They show us Naomi's reaction to him. We, we kind of quite like Boaz. We want him to be the redeemer that redeems Ruth because we, we've grown to like him. But this, this other kinsman is just so focused upon himself and what's in it for him. And I think, actually, he is the normal one. This other redeemer in this story is presented as the one who has the normal reaction, the one who is ordinary. It's Boaz who is presented as the extraordinary one. It's Boaz who, who we look up to, if you'd like. And the, the, the other redeemer is so concerned with his own name. Did you notice we never learn what it is? It, it says in verse 1, that, that, that word I use, friend, when Boaz addresses him, uh, a literal translation of that would be Mr. So-and-so, which is a bit of a strange term. I don't think that's what Boaz would have called him. They were family after all. Boaz would have known his name. You know, it seems, it seems the writer of this book has deliberately omitted this man's name and, and put in Mr. So-and-so, almost as a joke, uh, a clue, that this man has not earned the right to be named in this story. He, he had his chance, but he turned it down. It's, it's ironic that, that in being so focused upon his own name in rejecting the, the right to redeem Ruth and Naomi, he, he is not named in the story. We don't learn what his name is. And, and Boaz is so different, of course. Boaz is the one that I'm talking to you now about thousands of miles away, thousands of years later. He's not worried about his own name at all. And, and actually, he is the one who, who uh, is, is so focused on the spirit of God's law, on, on the heart of God's law. He understands that the leveret marriage customs were there to protect the widow. They were not there for the, for the man who would marry her. They were there to provide for her. A widow in the time of Israel with no sons was a vulnerable woman. She had no source of income or food or protection as she grew older, she had no one to look after her. And so these laws were there, though they're strange to us, they were there out of love. They were, they were there as God's provision for a widow. And, and Boaz understands that. Boaz understands his role in this is not about him. And actually his name is the one that is immortalized in this story, in these words. His name is the one that I'm talking about. And, and, and spoilers for next week, Ruth and Boaz have a son called Obed who is the grandfather of King David. And, and so Boaz's name is in the line and the ancestry of King David, and therefore of King Jesus. So he's, he has earned his, his right and his name in, in history across the globe. And, and this, this attitude of the other redeemer, as I said, is so ordinary, it's so common. This, this attitude of what's in it for me I see it in myself, I see it in our, in our wider church, I see it in, in Christians across the globe. It's so easy to, to approach church and Christian living with this attitude that is focused on ourselves, that is focused on what's in it for me. I, I don't know if you find yourself in this place, I know I certainly do, of maybe it's simple stuff like turning up to church, what's in it for me? Or, or turning up early to serve, as Jem was talking about earlier. 
or maybe it's giving the church your, your time or your money. The money always seems to be the harder one, doesn't it, for us to, to part with. Maybe it's, maybe it's something like praying for other people or, or finding time for that person who's really struggling right now. But I've, I've just got so much other stuff going on. I don't have time for you. I'm really sorry. Maybe it's uh, going out into the city and, and finding the lost and the broken and, and praying for them and being with them and introducing them to Jesus who they so badly need and, and praying for the sick and, heal, and healing them. What's in it for me, Jesus? I, d- I don't have time for that. I'm, wh- what am I going to get out of these things? And, and so we don't do it. I know it was certainly true for me as a student, particularly in my early years. I, I didn't really commit to church. I was sort of turning up as and when. I was kind of serving, but only when it suited me, which I've later learned isn't actually that helpful. Um, I, wasn't, I certainly wasn't giving. I, w- I was resistant to engaging in community where I could be accountable and uh, to other people and vulnerable with them. What, what was in it for me? I wasn't sure, and so I didn't. And, and it was that simple. And, and I think it's, it can be so easy for us to find ourselves in that place. But when we compare it to the alternative, when we compare it to what's here in this story with Boaz, the, the contrast is extreme. Uh, there's so much we're missing out on. There's so much we miss if we live that way. We, we miss our chance to be a part of something bigger. We miss our chance to be a part of that eternal story that Boaz is a part of now. We miss our, our chance to see uh, and, and be involved in something that's truly kingdom building. Just as we heard last week when, when Boaz gave um, again to Ruth in, on the threshing floor all of that barley, he didn't have a sign he didn't know what it was going to do. He just gave. And, and, and just this week, as we see now, Boaz didn't know he was going to have a son called Obed. He didn't know he was going to be the great-grandfather to King David and the great-great-great-great-great-great, I don't know how many greats-grandfather to Jesus. He didn't know any of that. He just decided to commit and to give of himself. And it's so hard. It's, it's not an easy thing. I still find myself... Uh, in, in this place of what's in it for me far too often than I'd probably care to admit. It's not, it's not an easy thing to do, but it, it's essential if we're going to get a part in, in this story. We, we don't want to miss out. And as, as we continue in the story, we see this strange interlude with a sandal, which I don't really understand, and it looks like the original readers didn't really understand because it's explained for them. And so actually that's really helpful. If they didn't understand, then everything we need to know is in these couple of verses that explains it. It is just a way of formalizing a transaction between two people. I don't really understand the practicalities. Did this guy go home with one shoe on? Does Boaz have a collection of spare sandals that he's collected over his career of many transactions with other people? I don't know. I guess if he was near the market, so maybe the other guy, there's a store that sells spare sandals. I don't know. He exchanges the sandals, Boaz gives his speech, and the people pray for, for Ruth and for Boaz and, and for the family, for, for Boaz's house. And actually, the, the, the prayers are significant and, and pathetic, and I would love to have loads more time to go through each of them in, in detail. Uh, very simply, Ruth, um, they, they pray that she'll be like Rachel and Leah, who we hear are the, the mothers of the 12 tribes of Israel. So they certainly have a significant part to play 
Um, and as I said, next week we'll see how, how Ruth really does have a significant part to play in the story of Israel. And, and the same for the prayers for the family, the, um, that they would be like the house of Perez, Perez being Boaz's ancestor. And, and Perez was bore to um, Tamar in a very similar situation to Ruth. And, and Perez, by this point, has become a great significant part of the tribe of Judah. And again, next week we'll see how, how the tribe of Perez is, is going to grow even greater through the birth of Obed. And, and Boaz, the, the prayer for him is that he would be renowned in all of Bethlehem. And I think we've, we've covered that already. He's certainly, his name has gone further than Bethlehem and Israel, if we're talking about here, here on a Sunday morning. And then we see, as that scene closes, Boaz goes home. Uh, Ruth and Naomi, it seems, were not at the city gate, so he goes home to them. He marries Ruth. He, he takes her to be his wife. Uh, and there's those few words in verse 13. It says, the Lord gave her conception. If we look at chapter 1, uh, Ruth and Marlon were married for 10 years, and yet when Marlon died, they had no children. It's, it's kind of implied that they were unable to, for whatever reason. And, and here the Lord steps in, and he provides once again for, for Boaz and for Ruth, and he gives them a baby boy. What a, what a wonderful blessing. And the, the, the verses I read out close with the women gathering, gathering around Naomi, in, in contrast to how she arrived to Bethlehem when she was saying, call me Mara, call me bitter. She has been filled once again. You can see that the language they use is, is so different to what it was before. And as we, as we look through the story, we, we can see how each of the characters have had their own, um, their own little story and had their own challenges and learned their own things throughout. Boaz throughout is motivated by love. He's not motivated by himself and, and what's in it for him. He, he is faithful. He is committed to God's law. He is committed to the underlying principles of God's law. It's very much like what we were talking about in the, the Sermon of the Mount series um, just a couple of months ago. He's, he's committed to the, the heart behind God's law, not just the law itself. And he is rewarded. He is given great blessing. He is given a name and a part to play in the story. And, and the same is true for Ruth, really. At the beginning, we see she leaves home. She leaves family behind. And, and she, she basically turns away from everything that she has to, to follow Naomi. And the Lord blesses her. He gives her a new home. He gives her a new family. She makes that costly decision. And then she joins Israel, God's chosen people. And, and he invites her in. It's, it's through his working that she has joined this family. It, this, this tells us that, that God cares about all of the Ruths in our world. He cares about the foreigner. He cares about the outcast and the broken. There, there are so many instances in scripture of him bringing in the most unlikely people into his purposes, into his story. The most uh, desperate sinners, the most broken people, the, most peop the people who are furthest from him. God uses them. And, and the same is true for us today. He wants to, to bring us into his family. He wants to use us, no matter where we are, no matter what our background, no matter the place we're in right now, he will use us if we are willing, if we follow. And, and we saw that with Tamar. We saw how, how she was also a widow, also with no sons. 
but through God working, became the mother of Perez. Again, a significant part of God's family. And it's, it's really interesting to compare Boaz and Ruth with their counterparts. They're, they're both faced with very similar situations. Boaz and this unnamed redeemer, as I like to call him, and, and Ruth and Orpah are faced with basically exactly the same situation in each pair. But they approach it very differently. Boaz and Ruth approach it selflessly. They, they take on great cost. They, they, they sacrifice much. They're, they're, they're moving and, and working through love. And they are the ones who are given a place in the story. They have a lasting impact. They are rewarded for their hard work. Well, it's actually not really hard work, is it? It's just commitment to follow. And these other two, Orpah and, and the unnamed Redeemer, forgotten to history. No impact at all. And then finally, we have Naomi, uh, who, who we started the story with. She returned to Bethlehem completely empty, having lost everything. And we see in these final verses how she is filled once again. And I think actually if you look at how the story progresses, how God has been working throughout all of the minor details, she was emptied in order to be filled. She, she, she decided right at the beginning to turn away from God's purposes, to turn away from God's land of promise. And so she lost everything. And, and then God brought her back anyway. He brought her back into his land and where, where she was meant to be. And she fi he filled her once more. He, he blessed her. We, we saw last week how she learned to wait. Her, her character grows. We, we see this week how although she, she started by losing two sons, she, is, she comes to know Ruth, who we learn is worth more than seven sons. Seven being a, a number of fullness or completeness in Hebrew culture. She, she has this grandson, Obed, who is uh, a restorer of life and a nourisher of her old age. She has, she has been greatly blessed and greatly filled by the Lord Jesus. This, this story for her is a story of God's lavish love, of his lavish grace, of his abundant blessing and provision for her life. And, and the same very simply is true for us. God, God is at work in the very normal the very mundane. I think we've already heard a few times in this series, we're, we're, we're not necessarily going to see God parting a sea for us. But he's still at work. He's still moving. He's, he's still blessing us. He's still providing for us. You only have to look around in this room to see that. The same is very much true for us. And, and the, the redemption in this story is, is obviously significant. Um, and all of the provision that's going on, this is very much a story of provision, but perhaps uh, the greatest provision is the salvation of the family name and the family line. And it's not really something we're as concerned about in our culture, but this was a big deal in the Hebrew culture of the time, that the family name was, was important. And without Boaz, without a savior, without a redeemer, the, the family of Naomi and Elimelech and their family name was done. There, there were no heirs. There was no more story. The, the family would have come to an end when Ruth and Naomi died. But with Boaz as a, a willing savior, the, the potential of this family is realized. 
we see, um, we see Obed, that the potential of this family is realized. And we'll see next week how, how that goes on to become something far greater. Boaz is revealed as a redeemer, but also as a savior to this family. He is obedient to God. He's obedient to God's law and God's purposes. He's committed to him. He, he acts as a servant, not serving himself, but serving others. He, he gives greatly of himself. He, he takes on great sacrifice. He shows great love, sacrificial love. These are the traits of someone who God can really use to, to do great things, to, to um, build that kingdom I was talking about earlier. And you might have already picked up on the similarities in the language I'm using, but, but in this chapter, Boaz is revealed in his likeness to someone else, to, to another savior, to King Jesus. His likeness to him is so clearly revealed. And, and Jesus too was an obedient servant. Jesus too was committed to God's law. He too took on great sacrifice out of love for people other than himself. But for Jesus, salvation of one family, of one, one name, one family line was not enough. He couldn't stop there. He, he had a far greater plan in mind, and he had to pay a far greater price than just for a little bit of land. And, and, and similarly, we see in the marriage of Ruth and Boaz how she is welcomed into the tribe of Israel. He's wel- she, she is welcomed into God's family. And, and we too are waiting for our, our marriage with the great bridegroom where we too are, are welcomed into God's family, welcomed into Israel, his chosen people. Now, perhaps we could uh, have some music in a minute. The, the, the book of Ruth, yeah, yeah, come up, sorry, that was unclear. Uh, book, the book of Ruth is, is so wonderful, so beautiful, as, as we've seen throughout. But it's just a taste of something much bigger. The, the, the story and, and the love and everything we were talking about earlier, that is, is just a taste. The blessing that we saw, even the many kilograms of, of barley for Ruth, is just a fraction of the blessing that is waiting for us, that God has in store. And I'm, I'm so looking forward to next week. I'm so looking forward to, to seeing how this story fits into the wider story of the Bible. I think we can, we can await that with great anticipation. But right now, the, the, the only thing for us to do really is to focus on Jesus to focus on our, our loving Savior, to focus on the one who will not leave us empty, who will not leave us in Moab, separated from him, who will not leave us wanting or without. He will not leave us outcast. But he, he and his, his divine will and his divine purposes will pour out his lavish love, as we saw in the story, his, his abundant grace, his abundant blessing upon our lives. And he, most importantly, perhaps, will welcome us into, welcome us into his fellowship with him and into his family. I'll let Nat lead us in the song.